Um, so turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter one, and we are going to start a series today that I call the God of Christmas present, the God of Christmas present. And um, we, we were in a series called Here, There, and Everywhere. Oh, and, 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 and let me just, while you're turning to Matthew chapter one, and then Mark chapter four, which you're going to think if you know your Bible have nothing to do with each other, but they do. While we're turning, let me welcome everybody who's watching church online today. We are so grateful. Can you help me welcome them? We are so grateful to have you as a part. However you're watching this, YouTube, Facebook, podcast website, wherever you're at. We're just so glad that you're on the other side of that and we count you apart. We're so glad that you're here. Um, but but uh, we were in a series here, there, and everywhere. We were talking about the presence of God and I just want to continue that, that concept, only give it more application. And, and Christmas to me is like the perfect time to do this because of what we're told uh, by the angel who appears to Joseph in Matthew chapter one. And so Matthew chapter one, you got to think about it. Mary's with child. She says it's God's fault. Joseph's not buying it, right? And you wouldn't either if you didn't have a Bible and 2,000 years of history behind it, right? You wouldn't believe that. And so he's like, no, 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 I gotta break off the engagement. This, this is not going down like this. Mary's a good girl. She obviously had a lapse of judgment, whatever the case may be. And then the angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in Matthew chapter one with another birth announcement and says, you're gonna call his name Jesus. We just talked about that during communion. You're gonna call his name Jesus because he'll save his people from their sins. And, and then he continues on and he starts quoting from the prophet Isaiah, where Isaiah prophesied, and you read this in Matthew, chapter 1 verse 23 Isaiah prophesied said behold by the way he prophesied this over 700 years before it happened um, behold the virgin shall be by the way this is a messianic sign because it was prophesied um, about the messiah 700 years so it's messianic prophecy uh, fulfilled in the new testament behold the virgin shall be with child and bear a son and they'll call his name look at this everybody and everybody say it emmanuel which is translated everybody say it god with us god with us emmanuel god with us i, I love the passage because there's no contingencies in it it's not you'll call his name emmanuel and he'll be God with you as long as you have a good devotional prayer time. Or he'll be God with you as long as you never make a mistake. Or he'll be God with you as long as you're on a serve team. Or he'll be God with you as long as you're leading a life group. There, there are no contingencies on that, you see? It's just the promise that for all people, right? For all people, the promise is that his name is Emmanuel because God is now with us. He was with us by his son, and now he's with us by his spirit. He, we will never be without him. He, um, uh, I think Paul says it, that he is never far away. He, he is just right there with you. Just speak. He's just that close. And, and so, so he is God with us. No contingencies, just promise. No standard, just provision. He is God with, he's accessible to all. That's why I love Christianity. People say Christianity, a lot of people who argue against it, um, they would say it's, it's, it's exclusive because the only way to God is through Jesus. So it's ex exclusive. And what I say is, no, 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 it's the most inclusive because whosoever will may come to him through Jesus. It's for anyone. 
God, God with us. So now Mark chapter four, this is about the storm and Jesus and the disciples in the storm. And you're thinking, what does this have to do with Christmas? And I'm saying, just hold on and we'll get there together. Mark chapter four, verse 35 on that day. How many know we're all going to have one of those days? Have you ever had one of those days? And if you're sitting here saying no, you're either a liar or you've already had too much eggnog. It's, it's like, like, okay, on that day when evening, everybody say evening, had come, he said to them, let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat. Just as he was. In other words, they didn't go, like he'd been teaching all day. They didn't go back to the locker rooms. They didn't grab on some water burger. Just, we're in the boat. We're going, right? And a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat. So the boat was already filling, filling with water. But he was in the stern. That would be the back of the boat. The boat was about 27 feet long, about eight foot wide. The back had a covering, had plenty of room for nets, powered by one sail towards the front. Jesus is in the back of the boat, in the stern, under the cover, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said, teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And then I love this. He said, why are you so afraid? And it says, and they were filled with great fear (laughs) and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So Jesus had been in Capernaum. And, and then he transitions to the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And there's such a large crowd, they get in a boat just off the shore and he's teaching them uh, most of the afternoon. And when he's finished, he says, hey, let's, let's go ahead and head uh, on over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is not a huge body of water. It's 64 square miles. It's about 13 miles north to south, eight miles east to west. Uh, at its deepest point, it's about 150 to 200 feet uh, deep. Not a huge, it's fresh water, not a huge, uh, huge body of water. It's actually fed by the Jordan River which flows into the north uh, part of it and flows out of the, out of the south part of it. Uh, most of Jesus' ministry, ironically, took place around the Sea of Galilee. Over half of his parables are shared with the Sea of Galilee as a setting, and, and, and more, uh, the majority of his miracles are, are also around the Sea uh, of Galilee. And so he is teaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and which, which is, um, well, it has a reputation. Sea of Galilee actually has a reputation uh, for, believe it or not, storms, uh, storms, uh, storms at night. Uh, uh, believe it or not, see the Sea of Galilee is 680 feet below sea level. It is the largest freshwater freshwater uh, body body of freshwater uh, that is. It's the lowest and the largest, right? So, so in other words, it is the largest freshwater body that is the, also that low. So of all the low, it's the lowest and, and the largest that is that low. I don't know if any of that made sense, but you got what I'm saying. All right. So, so it's a large and it's low, 680 feet below sea level. And, and, um, on, on, especially on the, the Eastern side is this place known as the Gallon Heights. Um, and, and that kind of stretches from, uh, um, 
almost Lebanon to Jordan, all through the area of Syria, and and because there are mountains around, and 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 it is 680 feet below sea level, right? Uh, because of that, when the wind comes over those mountains, especially from the east, from the Gowan Heights, and and that cool air collides with the warm air in the river basin or, or, or down around the sea, it is known to create violent and sudden storms. And I don't know about you, but in life, sometimes that's how storms feel. Violent and, and sudden. And so it has a reputation uh, for, for, for the storms. Now, back then, they didn't give them categories. We don't know the category of this storm. We don't know the name of, of this storm. Uh, in fact, that really didn't start until 1885 when a British meteorologist started naming storms and then they would name them by geographic area. Like this could have been the Gallon Heights storm, you know, uh, but there was probably like one several week. But anyways, um, and then in uh, 1953, the National Hurricane Center started these meteorologists, Americans, very brilliant men, decided to name uh, these devastating storms after their wives and girlfriends. And um, I'm not kidding. That's exactly, and I, that's why they're single and, um, and, and not very smart. Man, I, I, I don't recommend don't recommend. I can't imagine how that first conversation went. You know, honey, I love you so much. And I'll tell you what, there is just, of course, maybe if you're a meteorologist, this is big stuff, but there is just this amazing hurricane. It's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's a category four. It's going to hit a five. It's going to tear into this Eastern shore. It's going to devastate towns, probably kill people. And I'm going to name it after you. Anyways, but but in 1953, I'm sorry, the 53 they started naming. In 1979, uh, we got uh, equality uh, for storms, and now they have men's names as well as as female names. And and if the storm is bad enough, uh, then 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 they actually retire the name. And so they encounter the storm. It doesn't have a category. Doesn't have a name. Uh, they may have thought about naming it. I bet they gave it a name. And you know, sometimes uh, we actually have storms in our lives that we give names to. And we give categories to, and because they're that they're that terrifying, right? And it, it could be you know like unemployment Irma, or or it, it could be a diagnosis uh, you know Daniel, or um, it could be like divorce Deborah, or uh, it could be like financial Freddie. I mean, you, you could have you could have a lot of a lot of storms in life, and they can be so violent and so sudden and and so so intense. That, that we need to, to, to give them names. And, and that's what I think the disciples were thinking in, in this moment. And so I call, I call this message, um, the calm in your storm. The calm in your storm. Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much again for the coming of Jesus. I got the baby in the major that turned in to be the savior of the world. And, um, God, I know in this season, it's just probabilities that there are people in this room who are walking through things that they may be tempted to name. Uh, maybe they've already named them and they're intense. But God, your promise is, your promise is that you're with us in every storm. You are the calm in our storm. And so God, we ask that you reveal yourself in that way today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. So storms, three things when I look through this text uh, that stuck out to me that I, I think we have to explore. Uh, and, you know, I will say this, uh, um, if, if you're not in a storm, I would, I would take notes. 
because you don't know when they're coming, right? Uh, but three things we should support. And number one, I think this is where you have to start. Number one, a present storm doesn't indicate an absent God. A present storm doesn't indicate. Look at this. It says, verse 36 of Matthew 4 says, and leaving the crowd, look at this, look at this. They took Jesus with them in the boat. But check this out. Check this out. The last sentence, and other boats were with them also. Other boats. Here's the picture. There's a a lot of boats that are going to try to cross this lake. They're all going to get hit by the storm. We, we only have the narrative from John Mark, who is a scribe, who's actually given us Peter's eyewitness account, essentially. So we only have the narrative from this boat. There are other boats in the storm. But here's what I know. It seems to me that everybody's boat is going to go into a storm at some point. I had a, I had a, pre- a preacher friend that, that I knew. Uh, he's graduated to heaven now. He's a, a fantastic guy. Uh, but he used to say this. He used to say, you're either in a storm you just came out of a storm or you're about to go into a storm. Like there's your encouragement for the day. Let's pray. And so, but, it, but he's making the point that, that storms are, 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 are irrespective. They, they don't really respect. They're not respecters of persons that, that we're all going to in, encounter storms, every person. And, and, and when you encounter the storm, you will, here's what I'm saying. Believer or unbeliever, everyone's going to encounter the storm. The question is, who's in your boat when you hit the storm? Because I would, if we're all going to hit storms, and we are, if we're all going to hit storms, and we are, I'll just say that twice, I would sure rather be Jesus was in my boat when I ran into the storm than to hit a storm with Jesus nowhere to be found. And so they, they, they all hit the storm. Um, and, and you know, what, what, what really began to shock me, to be honest, um, was, was the fact that, um, and I'll just say this, that Peter was surprised. Because Peter's a fisherman, he probably had multiple boats. Um, he knew the reputation of the Sea of Galilee. He knew it was known for storms. He knew those storms most frequently happened at night. In fact, we have another text where, where the disciples, Jesus said, I want you to go to the other side, but he didn't go with them. And then they encounter the storm, and then he comes walking across the water through the storm, right? So, so they've been, they, hey, they end up in a couple of storms. And so I think they understood the reputation uh, that the sea had and that their storms happened at night. But why is it that a fisherman who is used to the Sea of Galilee, who has boats, all of a sudden is surprised when they encounter a storm, except that maybe he thought, since Jesus is in the boat, they wouldn't ever encounter a storm. They were impervious to storms because Jesus was in the boat. And I think sometimes we, we feel a little bit that way ourselves. Like, well, I, I'm doing everything so well. So obviously there wouldn't be a diagnosis. Obviously there wouldn't be a pink slip. Obviously my, my kids would not act out. Obviously there wouldn't be a financial situation. Because, because look at me, I'm in a life group and I'll serve team and keeping my devotional times. And man, I'm doing everything so well. Jesus is in my boat. I am serving Jesus. Surely if I'm serving Jesus with all my heart, I would never go into the storm. I don't know why he was surprised that they would run into a storm unless he was maybe naive enough to think that if Jesus was in the boat, that somehow would would cause there never to be a storm. Again, everyone's going to go through through the storms, right? Everyone will encounter them. In fact, I I, I found kind of in the same line, I was looking at it and I was like, you know, to me, there's like three reasons why you end up in a storm. Number one, Satan. Right? So, so I don't know if you know this, but you have an enemy who hates your guts. 
I don't know what your spiritual warfare life looks like, but I can tell you his warfare life is intense and constant. And sometimes, get this, sometimes we're surprised. Oh, he's attacking me? Yes, he hates you. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to say it another way, but he doesn't take Christmas off. He, he's not going to stop attacking you because it's Jesus' birthday. And so Satan, in fact, I mean, we have, we have so many scriptures in the Bible. People, Peter gives us this picture that he is like this lion that is roaming around trying to devour people. Uh, Paul tells us this. He says, you better, this is Ephesians 6. He says, you better put your armor on because he's strategizing. There are schemes of the evil one. He is strategizing to take you out. And then even Jesus said in John 10, he said, hey, I'm, I'm coming to give life, but you need to understand this enemy of your soul, he's, he's really got three objectives and, and he's really going for, for, the, for, the, for the hat trick here. He's, he's actually trying to kill, steal, and destroy. Like this is what he's... What's, and sometimes we go through life as though we don't have opposition and we feel surprised that, that we have opposition. You know, and like Peter, Peter gets surprised surprised. Like I thought if Jesus in the boat would, I gave up my business to follow this guy. And, and now, and so, so there's Satan, but, but you know, another reason we end up in storms self because see everybody in your life group said, I don't think you should date that guy, but you were just so lonely. And you thought, well, if I date him, I'll bring him closer to Jesus. And now that went and now you feel, and now it's kind of, I trust you can fill in the blanks. If we did the whole sermon this way, it'd be over that fast, right? <laughs> right, but, but, right? Everyone told you, everyone told you it's probably not a good idea to put all of that on a credit card in hopes that you were going to get a bonus, Clark. A little, little Christmas vacation right there, right? Remember he signs up, puts the deposit down on the pool and then gets the jelly of the month club for his bonus. It's a, key, it's a gift keeps on giving all year round, Clark. Anyways, how many love Cousin Eddie? Anyways, so, so, so I love Christmas movies. Anyways, so, so everybody told you that's probably not a good financial decision. Maybe someone in your life group, everyone said, hey, maybe you should go to a financial peace life group and, and work some things out. And, and, but, but you did what you did. Maybe you were, made some bad decisions. Here. And sometimes, sometimes we're in a storm and we like to blame the devil. But it's not really Satan. It's really just self. So you can be in a storm because of Satan. You can be in a storm because of self. But you know why else you can be in a storm? Because you just followed Jesus and did what he asked you to do. And we leave this out sometimes. But, but they're in a storm. Do you know why they're in a storm? Because Jesus had this bright idea to go to the other side of the storm, the, the other side of the lake in the middle of the night. He, he could have said, hey, guys, let's, let's get some Dan Dan and get us a good Holiday Inn Express right up the road. You know, let's, 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 let's call it a day, and we'll strike out first thing in the morning to, to get across this lake. It's going to be awesome. But no, he said, no, 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 let's, let's, let's just go right now. And they're actually in the storm, not because of Satan and not because of self. They're actually in the storm because they were on a mission for Jesus. 
They're actually encountering difficulty because they said, we're going to do what God has asked us to do. And, And you know what I would say is that sometimes chaos is a testimony of calling. That, that sometimes for those who are called by God in his purpose, who have set it in their heart to do what God has called them to do, and they are just trying to follow him, and they tithe, and they lead, and they serve, and they give, and they pray, and they go, and they still encounter trouble, you know what I'd say? It must just be proof that you're doing the right thing. That the chaos is actually testimony of the calling. If you weren't called, if they had not caught, been called by God, if they were not following God, they would not have been in this storm. And so you need to look at your storm and say, is this Satan? Is this self? Or is this just the testimony that God is using me to do something great? You know, one thing that, that we miss in, in this text is, is that they get to the other side of the storm. The other side of the lake, right? They, they weather it. We know the story. Jesus, peace be still, we read. They get to the other side um, where the Gadarenes are, and, and are, are the, the, the area of the Gadarenes, which is one of 10 cities making up Decapolis. And they are met by this man who's got what we would call friends. He is demon possessed. I don't know your theology on that, but Jesus seemed to believe in it. Anyway, so so he is demon possessed and, and we don't know how many demons because he actually gives a name for for how many troops elite he actually gives how you know what's your name? Legion. You know it's like like the exorcist, anyways. And so it's like legion, which, which was a name for, for an amount of soldiers in, in the Roman military. In other words, there's a lot. And here's what happens Jesus delivers the man Get this, gets out of the boat. This guy comes running to him who lived in the tombs, cut himself. He was, he was messed up. Falls at the feet of Jesus. What's your name? Legion. And Jesus pretty much says, come out of them. Well, can we go in the pigs? Yeah, go in the pigs. Pigs run off the cliff, right? Jesus says, you're free. The, the, the man says, or the boy says, I want to go with you. And Jesus said, no, you can be a missionary and evangelist right here in Decapolis. You got 10 cities to preach the gospel in. Jesus gets back in the boat, goes back across to the other side. And you know what I thought is, is that if you're on mission for Jesus, maybe the question you shouldn't ask is, why am I in the storm? Maybe the question you should ask is, who is on the other side of my storm? Because maybe it tells me two things about Jesus. Number one is he will walk through my storm. He will walk through a storm to get me. He will also bring someone else through a storm to get me. And also, if I'm going through a storm because I'm following him, there's probably someone on the other side of the storm that he's wanting me to reach. And so maybe the hope of the storm or the light at the end of the tunnel is to stop pondering and pontificating about why am I going through the storm and lift your eyes up to say, I wonder what miracle is on the other side of my storm. And don't let, don't let the presence of a storm indicate that God is absent because that's not what it means at all. He's, he's still in, he's still in your boat. Uh, the second thing, second thing you write this down is how you approach Jesus in the storm reveals how much you'll trust him through the storm. How you approach Jesus reveals how much you, 
You trust him. Uh, when, when we look at verse 38 of Mark chapter 4, it says, you know, Jesus was, was in the stern asleep on a, on a cushion. I, I love it because Matthew and Luke both tell us the same story, but John Mark is the only one that tells us there's a cushion involved. And it's because he's getting his intel from Peter. And I think Peter's like, yeah, John Mark, and I tell you, because it's one of the first gospel accounts actually recorded is, is the gospel of Mark. He's like, yeah, I, I, you, know, you know what I remember? He was on a cushion. Like he was working to get comfortable while we were working not to die. I, I think there was some angst behind this, right? Because what you see is, 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 is then they said, they said, like he's asleep on a cushion in the stern, that's the back. And they woke him and said, teacher, look at this. Don't you care that we're perishing? Don't you care? Don't you care that we're, that we're, we're perishing? Isn't it interesting? They assumed, they assumed because he wasn't responding the way they felt he should respond, that that meant he didn't care at all. Now, I know we, we, we wouldn't be that. But for the disciples, let's just talk about it a minute because it was their struggle, not ours. I mean, we have tremendous faith and we never get upset with God when he's on a cushion and not doing. Yeah, it must be nice to sit on the cushion of your throne while I'm down here struggling. I know we would never, never, never. I mean, not a, seriously. We are people of such great faith and and. And, and, and we would never respond. But I think there was some angst because they're, they're upset. What, what is it about storms? Can I ask you this? What is it about storms that actually make us question love? You ever thought about that? Like, isn't it interesting that, that when we're on the mountain, then, oh, God must love us. But yet when we're in the storm, he must not care about us at all even if it was following him that got us into the storm. And, and, and we get upset when, when, when we're bailing water and look around and he's on his cushion. And we get upset when he is not responding with the same intense hysteria that we are exhibiting. Like, I think they're mad because, Jesus, would you please get off the cushion, throw your hands up in the air like you don't care, and scream like we're all going to die because that's what we're doing. Because that is obviously how you fix this situation. <laughs> you know, um, I used to, I used to, I used to fly, and um, and well, I still fly. I used to be a pilot. Well, I'm still a pilot. So I still fly, and I'm still a pilot. I just don't have a plane anymore. So, um, but but so I'm used to flying in a lot of private, public, small airplanes, large airplanes. Used to. It. And, and when, when I was a pilot, you know, when I had a smaller airplane and, and so people would go with me who are not used to flying in, in airplanes or maybe not smaller airplanes and smaller airplanes are a little bit different, obviously. And, and so they would get scared about certain things, you know, because like you hear the flaps and you hear the gear come down and, you know, just, just, I remember one time I was flying over Oklahoma, I was flying a guy and he was in the back. And, uh, and so all of a sudden we, we blew a gasket, a prop gasket. And, and so the airplane I had was, was a single engine. So the prop is in the front. So he's back in the back and we throw, blow a gasket and it blows oil all over the windshield. So now if you're looking at the windshield, all you see is blurry oil. 
right? And, and that's okay when, you know, when you're at 11,000 feet. That's not a problem. But if you're trying to find a runway, it presents certain challenges. But, but I, you know, I'm actually an instrument-rated pilot, so I don't need to be able to see to find the runway. I do eventually have to get it somewhere in my peripherals to get the airplane on it, but I don't really have to see to be able to find it, luckily for him. But so to me, I don't, I don't panic. I, you know, I, I'm not, I figure we're, we're okay. Uh, it's, the engine is still moving. The propeller's still turning, right? And so I hear this voice over the intercom, Oh my God, <laughs> are we going to land? Actually, it was, uh, are we going down or something like that? And, and are we going to land? And I said, well, you know, here's what I can tell you about aviation. We are going to land. <laughs> um, <laughs> gravity is a constant. And, uh, you know, we've got about two hours more fuel uh, but yeah, we're, we're going to land. And he's like, are we going to crash? And he's just, he's panicked a little bit. And here's why I told him, I said, hey, why don't you wait until I panic? And if I panic, you panic. But I've logged a lot of hours. I've already called. I have a runway. I've got, I've got everything locked in my instruments. We are on our way to the airport. We have plenty of altitude. If we lost the engine right now, we're good. Like, it's fine. Why don't you wait and see if I panic before you panic? And I wonder why it is in the storm that when we look at Jesus who doesn't seem panicked, we get upset. And we try to tell him he should be panicking instead of looking at the the peace on his face to tell us maybe we should be peaceful. Are are you with me? We're like, why aren't you freaking out? And I think Jesus is like, why aren't you more peaceful? I think what's interesting to me is, is they, he, then, he then pulls them in. And this is during the storm, by the way. Could you imagine this? Sit right back in your tail, you know, and they're on this boat and, and they wake Jesus up and it's loud thunder, lightning, right? And all of a sudden Jesus breaks into a sermon. Why are you afraid? Don't you have faith in me? Is this really the time, Jesus? Like if you go into some parable, like there were three guys at sea on a boat, I'm jumping out of this thing. I'm done. I don't have time for teaching moments with the rabbi. I don't, I don't have time. We are dying. And, and I realized Jesus contrasts this idea of fear and faith. In fact, the whole story to me, when I, people say, how do you determine where the message is? You just find the tensions. Just find the tensions. The Prince of Peace in a storm. That's a tension. Following Jesus ending up in a storm, that's attention. Fear and faith, that's attention. You just find the tensions. That's where the, that's where the message always is. And, and so here he's telling them, you shouldn't be afraid. Have you looked at the storm? I mean, right now, Mark Skirto is on the Galilean news, rolling up his sleeves saying, find a small windowless interior room, somebody. If you've never seen Channel 7 during a storm, our kids count how many times Skirto says small windowless interior room. Anyways, so during Christmas, maybe you could take a hit of eggnog every time. No, I'm sorry. That was the wrong way to go with that. Anyways, never mind. And so, and so what I look at is, is, is he's, he's, he's indicating that they don't have faith. But in my mind, I'm thinking, but they, but they came, but they came to Jesus. 
Isn't that kind of what we, isn't that faith? Right? Like, isn't that, isn't that kind of what faith is all? Like, we, we come to Jesus, that's faith. But then I realized it wasn't what they did. It was how they did it. Because they didn't actually believe that Jesus could actually fix the storm. Because when he stands up and says, peace be still, they get freaked out even more. Now they're all like, I ain't talking. You talking? No, I don't know who he is. Like, what if he said peace and the storm disappeared? What if he says peace, Peter, and I'm out of here, man? I ain't, I ain't saying nothing. And what I realized is they didn't come to Jesus to save them from the storm. They were coming to Jesus to see if he would bail water with them. The boat was filling with water. And they didn't wake him up with a faith and expectation that he had any type of, of, of way of influencing their circumstance and situation. They didn't come to him in the faith of, we're sure you have a plan. We're sure that you have a strategy. We're, we're sure that we're okay. See, he had given them a promise. The promise was Jesus is the word. The word of God said, we're going to the other side. Had they had faith in the word, they pr probably wouldn't have lost heart. They lost heart because they didn't believe the word. Had they believed the word, they wouldn't have needed to come to Jesus and say, we're all going to die. Will you get a bucket and start bailing water? But they didn't come to Jesus in faith saying, we know you got this figured out. We know you've given us a promise. We know that we're going to the other side, but it looks a little intense right now. Maybe you'd like to shed some light, give us a revelation, speak to us. So, no, they came to him saying, we're all going to die. You're going to die with us. Get a bucket and do the best you can. So at least when we die, we know we did our best. They didn't come to him in the faith that, that he would actually influence their situation. They came to him in the fear that he was unaware and uncaring about what they were experiencing. It was how you approach him that reveals how much you trust him. See, the truth of it is God is not really moved by your storm. And he's not really moved by your fear. But he is always moved by your faith. He's not really moved by your storm and he's not really moved by your fear, but he is always moved by your faith. How do you approach God in a storm? You approach him not as though he's a teacher, but as though he's God. See, they said, teacher, don't you care? Teachers don't have authority over storms, but God does. And see, this is why I say you better be proactive to know who God is on the shore so you'll know who he is in the storm. Most people wait till the fit hits the shan in the middle of the sea to try to find out who God is. But what I've found is your level of peace is equivalent to your level of revelation of who you're trusting in. And the more I know him and the more revelation I have of who he is, the greater my peace will be when I encounter the storm. But if I don't know who he is, I may have peace in my boat and not know I had peace in my boat. They had the print. They're wanting peace. They have the prince of peace asleep on a cushion and they think they're all going to die because they don't know who's in their boat. You better know who's in your boat. And, and you better know what he's capable of. And I'm going to tell you right now, proactively, it is easier to know the Prince of Peace on the shore than to try to learn about him in the storm. 
See, the, the, the truth is, the truth is, Isaiah talks to us about it. And he says, you're going to go through storms, but this is the promise that God's always with you. That, that God is always with you in the storm. He said, in fact, when you go through the waters, I'll be with you. When you go through the flood, you're not going to be swept away. When you go through the fire, you're not going to be burned. When you go through the flames, it's not going to consume you. Why? Because I'm with you. But before you get into the storm, you need to know the God who has authority over it. Here's the third thing. Third thing you can write down. Peace is possessed before it's practiced. Peace is possessed before it's practiced. See, see verse 39, so Jesus awoke. Like, guys, way to go. You ruined my nap. Long day preaching. I was just going to catch, catch a little nap here as we crossed over, over the sea. Um, but they woke him up and he rebuked the sea, said, peace be still. And the wind ceased and, and there was a great calm. Here's another tension that I thought was interesting. They're screaming, he's sleeping. They're screaming, he, he's They're all in the storm. They're all in the boat. They're all in the boat that's in the storm. They're all in the same situation. They're all there because Jesus had a plan. They're all there because God had a destiny and a purpose. So, so the purpose is consistent. The setting is consistent. The situation is consistent. And the circumstances are consistent. But there's two different outcomes. They're screaming and, 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 and he's sleeping. As Peter wants us to know on a cushion. Very important to Peter that we understand what great lengths the Lord went to to get comfortable in the midst of his storm. Can I tell you that God is very comfortable in your storm? He is not worried at all. But they're screaming, and, and he's, he's sleeping. And so I thought, well, what, what's the difference? What's the difference? And I know the obvious, the obvious, well, he's God. Well, he's also man. Right? He is taking a nap. God doesn't ever slumber. So Jesus, here's your theology, 100% man, 100, we call it the deity and the humanity of Christ. He had to be God in the flesh. He had to fully become a human. Otherwise, his death and resurrection does not mean anything to us. So he had to become sin. He had to become man, all right, to take our sin. And so he is completely human. So yes, he is God, and I understand that, but he's completely human. He was taking a nap. This shows us the humanity of Christ. He had to take a nap. God doesn't ever slumber, the scripture says. So, so, we have all humans now, all humans in a boat in a storm. And I thought, they're all in the storm. What's the difference? And, and then it hit me. The difference was Jesus was sleeping because although he was in the storm, he had not allowed the storm to be inside of him. And they were screaming because they had allowed the storm they were in to get inside of them. What is worse than being in a storm is having a storm inside of you. Uh, being in a storm is intimidating. Having a storm inside of you is debilitating. And, and they come to Jesus in, in complete paranoia and, and, and complete uh, fear, anxiety, dread. I mean, they, 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 they are losing their mind because, not because they were in a storm, but because they had allowed the storm to, to get inside of 
See, it's one thing to, to lose a job. It's another thing to let the fear of not being provided for reside in your heart. Like I remember one, one time we started the church, you know, heard our story, long story, don't have time to share it, but uh, we started the church and, and we were in business with uh, a person we should have been in business with. We pretty much lost everything and now we're pastoring a church who, that doesn't pay us. And, 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 and I, God wouldn't let us resign, but we have this little group of people in this little dingy hotel that there's not enough money hardly, hardly to do a lot and certainly wasn't a salary and we just kind of lost everything. And so I remember when God spoke to me, he said, oh, your, your storm is because you think a paycheck is your provision, The problem isn't that you're in a storm. You've let the storm get inside of you. Losing, losing everything's a storm. But, but fear that it's all going down, you're going to die in the middle of it, and that's the storm inside of you. See, what I found was they, they then... Guys... Uh, I just, I got to tell you this. You, you know the crazy thing about boats? They're made for water. Think about this. As long as the water is around them, they're fine. Doesn't matter how tumultuous the water is. As long as they're in the water and the water's outside of them, they're fine. It's when the water gets inside of them that they go down. The problem in the story, we think the problem is with the boat, it was filling with water. No, no, no. The problem was with the disciples. They were being filled with the storm. In the same way. Are you with me? And then I thought about, so Jesus stands up and he says, Peace be still. I got thinking about that, and they they were wowed to say the least by that. In fact, they were freaked out, freaked out, and, and they start talking about what he said to the storm. But the power wasn't in what he spoke to. The power was in what he spoke from. You cannot speak peace to an external storm when you have turmoil on the inside. See, you can't talk to a storm out there when you have a storm in here because the storm in here will start regulating and manipulating and, and, and creating conflict and change and confusion and chaos. It is worse to have a storm in here than to have one out there. But once the storm gets from out there to in here, you no longer have authority over that storm. See, Bill Johnson said it this way. He said, you only have authority over the storm you can sleep in. Why did Jesus have authority over the storm? Because it wasn't in him. What was in him? Peace. And you shall call his name wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of 
peace, right? And of his government and kingdom, there will be no end. And so here, here's what Jesus is saying. I can speak to it out there because I possess it in here. Like if you want to know how to weather your storm out there, you've got to get peace in here. Paul talks about this to the Philippians. He says, don't be anxious for anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. Here, let me help you with something. You need more than a church life and a life group life and a serve team life and a school life and a job life. You need a prayer life. Be anxious for that, but in prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request, let your request be, I'm going old school because I'm quoting it. Let your request be made known to God and the what? The peace of God, which passes what? All your understanding. Will what? Guard your heart. What will it do? It'll keep the storm outside the boat. Here's what he's saying. If you want to keep the storm outside the boat, you got to remember who's inside of the boat. God with us. God with us. There's a storm everywhere. Should I be worried? I don't know. Jesus sleep on a cushion. I guess not. He's the one that put us here anyway. The more aware I am of who's in my boat, the less concerned I am about the storm my boat's running into. And the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind. Can I tell you, can I tell you um, something that God revealed to me one time? I didn't even get this in the other service, but it's worth it. The, the mind is the gateway to the heart. As a man thinks in his heart, so he believes. That's my loose interpretation. And here's what I'm saying. When we encounter a storm, the way the storm gets into our heart is through our mind. And the more we think, about all the damage the storm could do, the more we're afraid and the storm works its way into our... And the more we think about the, the casualties and the calamities and the loss, the more it gets into our heart where we start believing that the storm has authority over us Instead of we having authority over the storm. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, I don't have authority over the storm. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Because you have authority over the storm inside of you. You may not can change the storm outside of you. But you can regulate the storm inside of you. Are you with me? And so you do have authority. Listen, the promise that he is with us doesn't mean that we won't encounter a storm. It means that we will go through every storm. It means that he is with us in the storm. It doesn't mean that there won't be a storm. It just means it won't be the ending of us. We're not going to perish in this. It doesn't mean that we won't run into a storm. It just means that he will take us through the storm. 
And while we may not have, you may be, maybe you're, you're fighting a company shutdown and you're like, that's not my fault. Maybe, maybe you're in a situation where a spouse has left and you're saying, hey, that's not my fault. It may not be your fault. You may not have authority over the storm outside of you, but God has given you authority over the storm inside of you. And just as Jesus stood up on that boat and said, hey, peace be still. If you can get, if you can get peace on the inside of you, and get faith on the inside of you to know that he is with you no matter what you face, then, then, then the peace of God will guard your heart and you can actually calm the sea on the inside so you'll be able to weather the storm on the outside. The angel showed up and said, peace on earth, goodwill to men. They were not saying there is no turmoil. They were not saying there's no conflict. They were not saying there are no problems. They were saying that peace isn't about the absence of a storm. This was the most tumultuous time. Israel is under the craziest, one of the craziest kings, Herod. Herod was crazy. He killed his own family so they wouldn't. Like on his deathbed, had his sons killed so they wouldn't take his throne. He knew he was dying. He was nuts. When, when he was so worried about Jesus, this king of the Jews, that he had every boy Jew from, from two years and younger murdered. This was not a peaceful time. Joseph and Mary had to escape and live in Egypt to, to get away from him. Not a peaceful time. The angels were saying, hey, you know what? God just signed NAFTA 2.0 and, 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 and a peace treaty in the Middle East. And now there's just going to be peace and harmony. And we're all going to sing Fahu Dore, Fahu Dore, which I don't even understand. But we watched the Grinch last night and it won't leave my head. I don't know what Fahu Dore is. I know how to find Dory or Nemo. Anyways, it doesn't matter. But, but here's what they were saying. Peace isn't the absence of a storm. Peace is the presence of a Savior. And that's the promise of God with us. Not the absence of storms, but the presence of a Savior in every storm. He is the calm in your storm. Amen. Will you give God praise that he is with you no matter what? Why don't you stand, stand with me.